Welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political and current events podcast by and for millennials. I, I would say Gen Xer types, but <clears throat> do we want to really include them anymore? <laughs> <laughs> no one does. They should be, but yeah. Yes, you're all welcome here. You're all welcome. And boomers. I guess, yes. Okay, boomers. Of course. You can listen. <laughs> um, it is December 7th. 2019. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Um, we've been off the air for a while because I was on tour with my band. Yes. And um, no phone. I'm not talking to you. Shut up. And uh, <clears throat> I'm back. I'm still kind of getting over the flu. Rachel's kind of getting over the flu. So, you know, if we're clearing our throats and coughing and sneezing, well, I mean, we're always doing that because of allergies anyway. It's like, <clears throat> it's part of the charm. Yeah, I, I hope. Um, and we lost our dog that we talked about last time. Yeah, we had a, a sick dog, uh, Rigsby. We have two dogs. Um, one of them was a, t- a little bit older and had, uh, uh, I think we told, we gave you the backstory. Yeah. She had been having seizures and problems and it turns out she had a, a big old brain tumor and we kept her comfortable and, you know, gave her a good about another month, I guess. And, uh, she, uh, died peacefully at home on her bed, basically. Yep. Um, may we all go that way. Right. So, so she was a good dog and I loved her very much. Yeah. Yeah. She was good. You would hear her occasionally woof during the podcast. Yes. She was the barker. Yes. Learned. And we've, yeah, we've learned our other dog without that, uh, Q is silent as a church mouse. Yeah, she's very quiet now. She she also might be in a bit of mourning, which is yeah. why, but she also just doesn't doesn't bark, doesn't really not unless anybody tells her to. Yeah. And there's no one to tell her to bark, so she just is not a barker. So nope. anyway, that was a sad time. Um <coughs> I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I hope that uh your racist uncle, you know, wasn't too terrible or that maybe you confronted him at thanksgiving or whatever your situation was i hope that it was okay and christmas is coming um it's that time of year when it's very stressful and you know there's a lot of family stuff and um just like take care of yourselves y'all it's uh it's it can be a tough time i hope for most of you it's a a lovely time can you talk about the family thing for a minute yeah because i had noticed um you know i was um i was on the road yeah. Um, but I, when checking Twitter, there were like a hundred thousand articles about how to talk to your right wing family at Thanksgiving, or you should engage them and should talk to them. You shouldn't mm-hmm. avoid it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and I'm like, sometimes you just have to for your own sanity. Totally. And also, I think, you know, as we always talk about, it is your responsibility as a white person to talk to the white people in your lives about mm-hmm. stuff. And yeah. so I think. Maybe the holidays aren't the best time for this, but if you don't ever see these people, maybe it is um, the only time to talk about it. Right. When else are you going to do I, it? I mean, I think at the least, like for me, I know that like I, I can't um, let it go. I can't just like sit there and let people say terrible things without saying something. Mm-hmm. But I've always been that way. Um, since I was like 11, I've just always been the person that's like, I don't think that's right. I don't like that. Um you still are. And yeah. It makes people uncomfortable. It at does. Times. It does. But like, I don't really care about that. It's not more uncomfortable for them than it is to be a black person in the United States. So right. I just feel like <clears throat> a little discomfort 
is sometimes necessary, but I also understand that like sometimes you just can't. And yeah, I don't, don't want to put any judgment on anybody for that. You and know? disclosure, I mean, this year you didn't. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, you'll get your chance at, at, Christmas, at Christmas or, you know. Yeah. But, um. So let's just get to the stuff we want to talk about. Well, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I, I will do like at the end of the podcast a little impeachment wrap up. Yeah. But once again, we're not going to be super focused on that. There's a million other places that, to get the play by play of that every day, and we're gonna we're gonna delve into some other stuff because the rest of the world keeps churning. And there's important <clears throat> stuff to talk about outside of the TikTok play by play of, of politics. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if everybody that listens to us doesn't already listen to you're wrong about but they should if they don't it is our very favorite podcast i think both of us um outside of maybe like radio lab um it, it's a wonderful podcast and i'm gonna do just a short uh version of that really quick because we are on the um 50th anniversary of the assassination of fred hampton And so I'm just going to do a tiny version of you're wrong about the Black Panthers. Right? So when you think of, like, what you know about the Black Panthers, most people think, like, oh, like, some very, like, militant um, black organization that, like, carried weapons and hated white people. And I don't know. What do you – when you think of the Black Panthers – if, what do you think most people think of the Black Panthers? Because I know that you know more than them. Well, I'm really excited about this uh, last season of uh, The Man in the High Castle, which mm. is the, the yeah. Philip K. Dick adaptation. <clears throat> I think it's streaming on Amazon about what if the Allies lost the war and the Nazis and the Japanese took over the U.S. mainland. And in this last season, the <laughs> the resistance on the West Coast is led entirely... In Oakland, I bet. Yes. By... <laughs> Fred Hampton and the and the black they're called something else in, yeah. in the but it's like well who's gonna save us like well we will <laughs> right and it's awesome and you really have to watch it but it also like is a reminder of like what they stood for and what they're all about and there's all this great dialogue in the show about like like hey we survived the Jim Crow South if we came from the East right. we survived the Nazi occupation like you know this and then like you know once they sort of not spoilers, but once they sort of like, I don't know where the, I haven't seen the whole series, so I don't know where it's going, but when they kind of like went, like takes a measure of control, they're like, you know, they want to lynch the Japanese are left over. Like, no, we're not lynching. We're not doing that. You know, right. we're, it, it's right. like, right. it's, it's so well-written. It's so incredibly like impactful. And, and it's like a good historical reminder of like what these people believed and, and what they did and how they fought. And, um, yeah. So I'm just going to do a quick, like, I think most people think of the Black Panthers as, like, this sort of militant black organization that wanted to, like, hated white people and wanted to, like, be separationist and, like, I don't know, an armed militia of sorts, right? Well, to, uh, to go back and answer your question a little bit before you get into that, like, you say Black Panthers to the average white person, they mm-hmm. they think of something very scary. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago uh, during the 2008 election when you had um, what they were, people they were calling the Black Panthers patrolling <laughs> like urban 
uh, voting centers in like Philadelphia and the white people were going mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, these were mm-hmm. a completely white neighborhood, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. black neighborhoods to begin with. Yep. And, you know, they were just kind of there to make sure that like black people could vote, that white people weren't pulling any shenanigans, that black people could vote. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. So, and, but that that is still elicits scary thoughts, and you still hear like, "Oh, the Black Panthers are out. The Black Panthers are going to do this and that." So. Right. Right. It still elicits because the the <coughs> information machine from the government was really, really effective around what the Black Panthers were and are, and what they were trying to do versus what um, the the media and the government made people believe that they were actually doing and who they were. And and it, it's impactful in so many other ways we people don't think of with gun control, mm-hmm. how that got flipped on its head. Gun control used to be a very white person thing because they were scared of black people having guns. Right. And the, and the Black Panthers were pro-Second Amendment advocates. Like, everything was turned on its head. Well, and it's exactly. Amazing. So, like, just to start there, right, black people felt, um, the Black Panther Party specifically felt that it should arm itself, yeah. Um, just as white people feel that they should arm themselves against an oppressive government machine. Um, I think they had greater cause to feel that way um, because they were being murdered <laughs> and still are by the government, right? Yeah. The government being not just the feds, but also like local, local law cops, enforcement, sure. right? And so they started to arm themselves and and carry guns openly. Um, and that made a lot of white people really scared. And so they started to be like, we, maybe we don't need people to carry guns. That's scary if black people are going to do it, right? Yeah. Um, and so it used to be a sort of more conservative um, epithet that like we should have gun control because black people will have guns. Right. Yeah, so, led by Ronald Reagan of yeah, all people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, which like people don't remember. No. So I'm going to tell you a story, and it's going to sound like a conspiracy theory, and it is absolutely true, and documented and founded and you can look up every source possible online about the Black Panther Party in uh, Chicago um, led by this man named Fred Hampton Um, there's a really good book written by a person I know named Jeffrey Haas about Fred Hampton that documents all of this very very carefully so when the Black Panther Party started um They had a lot of goals, but one of the ones that they had was like black liberation, right? This was in the 60s. And um, it's during the period of civil rights movement and it's during the period of Asada Shakur and, and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and a lot of that stuff was going on. And the Black Panther Party... Um, <clears throat> was very much for black liberation um, and did things that people don't remember. Uh, the Black Panther Party started free school uh, breakfast for children. Mm-hmm. That was one of their main <clears throat> initiatives, specifically in Chicago, um, that they opened up this like food kitchen for uh, children in their neighborhoods to come eat breakfast before they went to school. Um, and... That led to nationwide, like, school lunches for kids, right? Didn't exist before the Black Panthers. Does exist now. Um, And the reaction of the establishment was to have cops come in at one point to raid the uh, free school lunch uh, breakfast program at that time and pee all over the food. 
because black people get an uppity. Mm-hmm. Um, so Fred Hampton became like a rising star. He was a very like sort of a great orator, right, out mm-hmm. of that time, and um, and just a really like an amazing man, and um, and sort of led the party um, at the time. Nixon was in office, and J. Edgar Hoover was very keen to. Um, try to shut down the Black Panther uh, and any sort of black liberation people, right? Um, in fact, I, I have a quote here that I'm going to pull up that is directly from the FBI at the time. They did this program called COINTELPRO, which is um counterintelligence program, um, where they placed people within the movements and they still do this to this day, including like Standing Rock and oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter and all of that stuff, um, that they placed people within these movements um, to get information about what they were doing and to try to shut them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like craziness, right? Because it, sa- it sounds crazy because it is crazy, but it's absolutely true. And like we have documentation from the FBI that this is a thing that they did um, and, and led to his... Uh, murder by the police. So, um, I can't find the exact quote right now, but uh, there's some documents that uh, we have access to now that J. Edgar Hoover basically said that, like, the black liberation movement in all of its aspects, including Martin Luther King's assassination, like, all of these people, right? Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, that, like, the black liberation movement was the the most dangerous thing to the security of the the state that could have ever existed. Like it's which sort is, of, which is really nuts when you think about right? it. Right. When you think about just the, the, the number of black people, you know, in the, in the fifties and sixties relative to the number of white people, to the fact that you, you had a standing United States army, like th- that, that was completely bogus. It was just nonsense. I mean, Hoover was a crazy person. He was. And I love, I'll, I'll just add in the show, uh, just mentioned A Man in the High Castle, J. Edgar Hoover immediately turns into a Nazi. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah. He was. It's perfect. He's Completely. Easy to, easy to write that. Easy to write that, right? Yeah. No. So like he, he really identified the black liberation movement as like the most grave security threat to the United States that has ever existed. That, well, there's this, this belief by white people in general that, that like... Even though they're an, a minority, somehow there's like ten of them to every one white person. Like that's that's how they see right. it. Right. It's this notion that like if black people start saying um, we would like to not be treated badly, that it's it's a direct threat to white people. Yeah, that they're gonna take over the country or something. Like it's the notion like we're we're not so far outside of slavery that this notion that black people might be like, hey, I'd like to not be treated badly is like so overstepping that it's a danger to the literal like democracy it's a mm-hmm. danger to the state yeah that black people are saying like hey and in this case the black panthers again i'm gonna do you wrong about like we're saying we're gonna feed black children in the morning mm-hmm. and we're going to um sickle cell anemia became a thing and there was yeah. no testing for it and so they created these clinics where black doctors would test black people to see if they had these things mm-hmm. In addition to a number of other things that they were testing people for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like trying to be like, look, black people are going to uphold other black people. And we're going to make ourselves safe and secure and fed and healthy. And that was such a threat 
to this date that the FBI went into these organizations and put people into these organizations to try to dismantle them. Yeah, undercover. Um, so that was COINTELPRO. <clears throat> Um, so anyway, Fred Hampton was one of the leaders in Chicago, um, and like really like a rising star, like really one of those people that like sort of like MLK could have really just like, he was more radical than that. Right. But Mm -hmm. like just really like a a rising star that people listened to and he was tremendous. And so they murdered him. Um, they had a guy come in, uh, undercover they were staying in a flat in Chicago. Um, the guy provided, um, like the sort of dimensions and like layout of the apartment to the FBI and to the local Chicago police department. And they went in, in the early hours on December 4th of 1969 and, um, fired 90 bullets into the apartment. They drugged him first, which is a, thing that people say is a conspiracy theory in the black community, but it's absolutely true. Um, they, the informant um, put something in a drink earlier in the night that made Fred Hampton uh, pass out, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he was in bed with his wife, who was eight months pregnant, who miraculously survived the shooting. Um, they came in, they shot him and another man, um, and then twisted the story in the media to say that it was a shootout between the Mm. Panthers and the police. And that is not true. And the Panthers were very upset by this after Fred Hampton was murdered. And so they did this interesting thing where after the police tape was taken down, they had tours from people in the community that who could just come in and look at the apartment after the shootout occurred and you could see the bullets that went into the apartment and the single bullet that went out. Um, no officers were harmed during this. Um, and they literally let people walk through the apartment where Fred Hampton was murdered and just look at all of the bullet holes. And there was absolutely like not a shootout, right? Like they were trying, it's like fake news, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's the government saying, this is what happened. This is why this happened. And we were in the right. And, you know, it was a shootout, which is bad, but, like, we did the right thing, and this horrible terrorist is dead. Um, the horrible terrorist who was providing school lunches for children. Um, so they just let people in the community come in and look at the apartment and look at the bullet holes and look at the direction in which they came. And it was effective because people were like, no, that's not <laughs> true. Um, so, Yeah. Um, after that, the, the COINTELPRO was pretty effective throughout the sixties and seventies and the Black Panther movement died off in large part, um, which sucks. I mean, a a lot of it was like arrests and murders and assassinations and they just really, the, the state was effective in its shutting down of this organization that was just trying for like black people to be treated mm-hmm. better. Um, and we can talk about Asada Shakur on a different day, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so that was 50 years ago on December 4th that Fred Hampton was assassinated. Um, Chicago has a statue of him now, and there's a photo of his mom hugging his, uh, bust. 
the head um, and saying they killed my son, they killed my son. And it's very sad. Mm. Um, so yeah, look up Fred Hampton. There's a really good documentary about his life and there's a really good book written by Jeffrey Haas about his life. Um, and I, I really encourage everybody to like look that up and sort of learn that history. And it seems crazy, right? It seems like you're talking conspiracy theories that the government's invading these, but it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And that's what they were doing then. And it is what they continue to do now. Mm -hmm. So that's my bit on Fred Hampton. Okay. And watch the last season of Man in the High Castle. Yeah, I'll have to watch that. It's a really, yeah. uh, really interesting, like alternative uh, potential history um, uh, thing. There, where like most people wouldn't have wouldn't have thought of that. And um, and it was started in Oakland. Uh, the other thing I would add is that um, it started in Oakland by Huey Newton, and the following the Fred Hampton assassination, there was an actual shootout that lasted for like, I don't know, like a day and a half in Oakland um, that they were just like, no, we're not fucking doing this. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to fucking Fred Hampton us. Mm-hmm. And they they had a literal like shootout. And uh, that's another interesting part of the story that I don't have enough information to give full details about. But um, yeah, the Black it? Panthers were not like some horrible people who hated everybody they were a very lovely group yeah well they wanted to protect their community they wanted to protect their community that's right and there's a lot you can get into there's a really good um episode of the radio lab spinoff for about the supreme court mm. about the gun control and ronald reagan and how they were the first, black panthers were the first sort of open carry yeah. activists yep. and how they yep. teamed up with the forerunner of the nra um, and strange bedfellows and, you know, it's, it's still a thing. I mean, even in St. Louis post Ferguson, um, there are people who are very active, open carry black men who are like, I'm going to, I'm going to carry because I need to protect my community and from you know, these fucking <laughs> cops. And if you want, if you want some fun, not fun, like, you know, I, I say that in a very, right. um, you know, sardonic way. If you look at the YouTube videos of the white people open carrying, you know, and the cops trying to talk to them and them just giving them all kinds of attitude and the cops just backing down as opposed to a black person open carrying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's night and day. It is a whole different, <laughs> a world. whole different world. And it doesn't matter what state it's in. I mean, open, Oh, quote, open carry in an open carry state if you're a black person is probably a death sentence. Yeah. Like, look at the guy in Ohio in the Walmart holding a BB gun, you know? Right. I mean, like, right. you can't, Tamir Rice, Right. Ohio is supposedly an open carry state, and if you hold a toy gun, you're, uh, that's a, a good thing. child, seg- yeah, let's that's a good talk segue. about Miami. Yeah, speaking okay. of uh, cops, cops indiscriminately spraying bullets. Let's, yes. So recently in Miami, uh, I think this was just a couple days ago, a couple guys robbed a jewelry store. They, I don't know if they robbed it on foot or whatever. They didn't really have quite a, much of a plan. So they carjacked a UPS van with a poor, you know, underpaid driver in it. And they basically took him hostage, told him to go on the floor and took off. Cops were immediately on the case and chasing this UPS van. The UPS van, the, the robbers fired at police. And so every cop in Miami goes and chases them. They get onto the highway during rush hour. Mm-hmm. So neither the cops nor these thieves were very smart. But the the thieves 
run into in this UPS truck with this hostage rush hour traffic, which rush hour traffic in Miami is as epic as you could imagine. And like similar to like L.A. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. quite as bad as L.A., but yeah. it's bad. And so the the van is stuck. And instead of trying to de-escalate the situation or, or work something out, the cops all jump out of their cars, all take cover behind civilian vehicles and no just joke. start spraying bullets everywhere. They kill both the robbers. They kill the hostage and they kill an innocent bystander in his car stuck in rush hour traffic. Then they have the audacity to pat themselves on the back and talk about what a great job they did. And then to make matters even worse, UPS releases a statement, not mentioning for the first statement, not mentioning the name of their employee, their employee who got killed and praising the cops. Have they changed that statement since? They, they, they issued another one that was the same thing, but they mentioned their slain employee. By name. By name. Okay. So. I have a on, lot I, to I say don't know where this. to start with this I, one. I, you know. Let me, let me just say the, the good thing, if there was a good thing to this, is that the reaction from social media, from a lot of editorials, a lot of news people are like, what the hell? This can't be, this can't be SOP. This can't be the way this kind of thing is done. Was jewelry worth four lives? Now you can make the argument, well, you know, they fired at police and they had a hostage. So, you know, they had to, they killed the hostage. Yeah. The cops wound up killing the hostage. And it's amazing. I have the, you have these police apologists on Twitter, like, well, what were they supposed to do? And I'm like saying, okay, well, if that's the position you take, Theoretically, if you were to get carjacked and what you want is the cops to riddle your car with bullets to get the carjacker. And if they happen to kill you, oh, well, right. That's what you're saying. Right. That right. If I get carjacked, fuck my car. I don't care. Can you make sure that I'm not dead at the end of it Mm -hmm. is all I care about. And take my fucking car. Right. The reason carjackings are so effective is just like, okay, like I'm not want to die. So take my car. I don't care. My car is not worth more than my life. In this case, the jewelry at stake was worth more than the hostage, both of the robbers and a bystander. Mm-hmm. Now, there's video of this, right? So yeah, that's yeah. the there's, thing that's been floating around. Video from 20 different angles of the cops just going full Wild West shootout I using really, civilians as cover. I mean, it is like it is literally like these cops. And I think this is true everywhere just like watched a lot of fucking what John McClane action movies Mm -hmm. and we're just like we get to go do some shit now and Mm -hmm. like just like went full like fucking video game action movie crazy and like that cannot be the training that you received but it was like they had this like oh my god we get to finally be like in the movies and they just like (laughs) hid behind vehicles and like just shooting thing it, like this is how is this acceptable and if you listen to the police chief the Miami police chief and the uh, police benevolence association spokesman they're like oh they did everything right they were perfect they were perfect this yeah. is what we want this like, is what not, we want not even a blanket like we're going to review this anytime there's civilian death you know it's something we're going to have to look at like they could have been very noncommittal and just said like we're going to review what happened but no they they're just Right off the bat, like, no, the police did everything right. Everything was perfect. So that's 
that's really scary because basically what that says is that's insane. I didn't know that. Oh no, yeah, that's, that's what fucking that's insane. what they've been saying. That's insane. You can watch the video and you're like, that is not how I would like police to behave. I'm not in a fucking Marvel movie. Right? Like, I'm not in a fucking action movie. Well, you can I don't believe- want police... If I'm driving <laughs> on I-25 and police just start, like, hiding behind my car and shooting at things and I die, like, mm-hmm. that's fucking nuts. Well, you can believe the families of, of the victims are going to oh. have something to say. And they are talking already and they are not saying, oh, oh, well, the cops did right. They're like, why did the cops murder, you know, my son? Right. They don't understand. N- nor no one they. should understand. It's absolutely... Now you have to wonder who was in command, who was who was running the show. Because if anybody was, and anybody sort of thought this through, we're talking about a UPS van that has GPS tracking on it, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to find a secluded spot. These guys, they're they're very likely just going to let the hostage go, and mm-hmm. then they're just going to hold out, mm-hmm. and then that's that's it. And then you find these guys, right? And you can say, or oh, you don't. They probably would. The, the, they probably wouldn't because cops are fucking ineffective. Sure. However, is that I would rather give me a scenario in which I would rather two guys who robbed a jewelry store get away mm-hmm. than four people are dead. You know, about ten years ago. That's like no, literally, like four people are dead. Or two guys who robbed a jewelry store got away. About 10 years ago, and of course this is during the Obama administration, so it's a much different time, there there was this whole movement of we have to rethink chase police chases. Yeah. Because the way they're conducted right now, there's too much collateral damage. There's yeah. too much of the general public at risk. There's yeah. too many innocent people. We have to really rethink how we're doing this. And like this is back to square zero with it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. This is fucking ridiculous. Four people are dead. Dead, not going home to their families, never mm. to be heard from again because cops decided to go be in an action movie over some fucking jewelry. Yep. You know, like they tell bank tellers, just give them the money. You know, money is not worth your life. Maybe we should be telling cops that. It's some jewelry from a store who probably has insurance. Who fucking cares? They definitely have insurance. But like the point is... <coughs> The way people are standing for cops God. on this and like hypothetically sacrificing themselves at the altar of Blue Lives Matter oh flag. Like they are basically saying like, yes, if I were to be carjacked or someone were to break into my house and hold up, um, yes, go ahead and murder me, police. Murder Sc- me and some other person not involved. Because, you know, that's your job. I, I, I support that. And of course they don't. They they don't want to die by cops, but it's very convenient for them to say, you know. It's fine because that's what cops are. They're doing their job and their job is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Okay, they made their jobs really dangerous that day. Their jobs didn't have to be dangerous that day. Their Mm -hmm. jobs could have been, all right, a jewelry store was hijacked and somebody shot at cops. And so I'll, I'll give them the little bit of the benefit of the doubt in that. Okay, you've been called. You've been sent on this call. And these jewelry thieves are getting away. Here's the vehicle. Oh, and they're shooting at you now. Okay, that's dangerous. Granted. But, you know. They escalated the situation. Well, they always do. They escalated the situation. They didn't de-escalate. There wasn't less shooting because cops got called. There was more shooting Mm -hmm. by cops. This is why you never fucking call the police ever. 
They will never de-escalate a situation. They will always escalate it because they're always fucking Rambo. So what if what if the 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 jewelry thieves realized they were surrounded by cops or the cops were on their way and decided to hold up and take the jewelry store clerk, the owner, hostage? Then ostensibly. Well, we'll go in and kill everybody in there, including the like, like there used to be hostage negotiation. Like there used to be like measured police things that doesn't seem to exist now. Mm-hmm. You take a hostage, then all matters are about let's make sure that hostage survives. Mm-hmm. There's hostage negotiators. There's people that come in and they talk to them and like, we don't really give a shit about the jewelry. Just give us the guy. Right. Like there's stuff that you do. You don't just go. <clears throat> Hide behind civilian vehicles and shoot during rush hour traffic in the fucking middle of a highway. Like, it's this is absolutely, I don't even know how to explain how upsetting it is. And the fact that the chief is like, this is perfectly good. This no, is what yeah. we should be doing. That, that we should is, be doing this. He is all over TV saying wow. just that, saying we should cops be doing this. Did exactly what they should have done. Wow. And again, it's crazy. It's, can't you at least like go halfway and say we're going to review everything? This is a tragic wow, situation. This Our did not go, go the well. Victims. They're like, no, we got the bad guys, and they did Therefore, a great job. And we looked like fucking heroes doing it because we're superheroes because we're in an action movie. That's really what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Is they were all just like, I'm John McClane, motherfucker. I'm gonna go do whatever I have to do without thinking about the lives of the people around them. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being one of those cars? I was watching that, thinking about like the guy in like the gray SUV and just being like, that is terrifying. Well, one of those people in one of those cars was shot and killed. Yeah. Some guy just stuck in rush hour traffic. Old white guy, by the way, which they should might piss people off, maybe? Should, or, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it will. I think his neighbors and the people in his 4 H club or whatever are not going to be real happy about that and going to have some questions. Um, so. You know, getting the bad guys is not my ultimate goal. If I'm being honest, preserving life over property would be my ultimate goal. So, like, if some jewelry got stolen, I don't know that. And like, that hostage is important to me, but that person is dead now because mm-hmm. the cops just shot into the van recklessly. Yeah. So we didn't even do that. They took a guy. They shot at you. You killed everybody. I guess it's a win. I don't get that. No, the priority for the cops once those guys took some shots at cops were we need to murder these guys at all costs. Yep. And if some civilians happen to be in the way, oh well. And maybe that is how they were trained. I don't know. I Look, we talk about this everywhere. I've lived a lot of places. I've lived uh, big You've cities. You've lived in South Florida. Yeah, I've lived in Miami. I've lived in San Antonio. I've lived in Houston. Like, there's no... Um, we know in Denver, there's no big city or even small town police department that is immune from horrible corruption and horrible brutality and horrible training. It's just, you know. Well, that's the thing that I think people don't understand about cops is like we have this notion because I think of like movies and like this idea that cops are these like superhuman detectives who are really, really good at everything and, and, have this moral code and like we have this idea from like films and television about who cops are Mm -hmm. but really cops are just like the guy who was kind of a dick in high school who didn't go to college and sort of was a flunky and was kind of a bully and then he got hired on to the police 
and he got like six weeks of training about like how to shoot people and like yeah. how to use a stun gun and now he's a cop and he doesn't really have any like there's no like extra thing that cops have they're just the flunkies that were bullies that you went to high school with for the most part and so if you think about it in that way like it's not surprising that things like this happen but we don't think about cops that way and jurors don't think about cops that way like the general mm-hmm. public doesn't think about cops as, as well hold on hold people on. they actually are hold on white people don't think about cops that way right that's true people of exactly. color know exactly who fucking forever. cops are yes they know exactly who cops are and they know not to fucking trust them but there's something about white people that are like cops are good and they are like superheroes who have like these extra powers of like deduction and they like always know who the bad guy is. Of they course. always catch that's, the bad guy. That's how we were raised. That's what yeah. our parents told us mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, they would come to school with the dogs and, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they talked about how we're protecting you and we care about you. But of course these were very white schools we went to. Yes. And, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> it wasn't until we got older and we started learning some things that like, Oh, wait a minute. Cops are not that. (laughs) Cops also get it wrong all the time and they don't care. And like the more true crime podcasts come out, like the more I'm just like, I love it because it just makes cops look so bad. Well, not just they are. It's really in the age of, I would say the internet and cell phone video that we've really got. I mean, it started in back in 92 with Rodney King that really opened a lot of people's eyes to, you know, what a lot of white people's eyes. Yes. Um, and now in the age of, of, of internet and cell phone video and Facebook video, like now you really get an idea of what, what people are dealing with. So, you know, that's changed. A few months ago, there was this really good article, I think it was in the Washington Post, about a former cop who talked about how awful and unacceptable the process of uh, psychological screening is of yep. cops and training. Yep. And it just kind of got ignored. I've talked to former cops in my life. <laughs> That have told me like the psychological specifically screening is really bad. And then just like the attitude, the attitude. Yeah. The like, why do you want to be a cop? Mm -hmm. Right. Like that is not a question that people have to answer properly. No, they, it doesn't much matter. And the training, um, I was talking to a Lyft driver (laughs) of all things, um, and he was just talking about how he's not a cop anymore because he was like, it, you know, the other cops, like, especially the older cops, there's definitely like that blue line of mm-hmm. silence. But yeah. like even the younger ones that were coming in were like these bad apples that were just like had a bad attitude and wanted to just like go out and basically bully people. Yeah, yeah. They got into police and law enforcement because they wanted to bully people. Yep. And like, that's not that's true. And like not a thing that we should think is okay. And and again, like And we've seen it firsthand, right? Yes. We've been in situations where five cops maybe show up, which unnecessary amount to begin with, and or six or seven cops, and five of them are, are fine. They're calm, they're trash, they're trying to de escalate. Mm-hmm. But then one tough guy comes in kicking the door down and cursing and escalating, and then it all turns to shit. Because then, you know, if an altercation happens, all those other five cool cops have to jump in and protect the Exactly. And all the other ones are like, no, no, he did everything right. It was fine. And it's like, no, I just watched what happened. What he did was not fine at mm-hmm. all. It didn't de-escalate anything. It escalated everything. And it yeah. made everything fucking worse. And dangerous. 
<laughs> and it was completely unnecessary. Caused harm was mm-hmm. unnecessary. And then everybody else is like, I guess I got to back up the cop. And yeah. I mean, it's so fucking frustrating. This is why I just don't call the cops ever. Just don't do it. Yeah. Don't. Just never. It never helps anything. It will never help. It will only make things worse. No, we learned that the hard way. We were in yeah. a situation with someone who yeah. was having a mental health sort of crisis. They were kind of escalating their behavior. We weren't sure what to do. Um, and, you know, we ended up calling the police and it, it, it ended it an, an ended, unnecessary It ended so chaos. much worse. Yeah. The police made everything exponentially fucking worse. Yeah, they did. In Absolutely every possible did. way that you could imagine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No. The police are not like John McClane, right? The police are just like the high school bully that didn't have anything else to do. So now he wants a gun and a badge so he can come bully somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And that's why we're constantly seeing these things, right? I mean, so New York City has um, been amping up their uh, thing in the subways about people um, told... What do you call fair it? Fair jumping? Fair jumping. Yeah, because the cops are going crazy with the fair jumpers and like eight of them are beating the crap out of somebody who jumps a fair and then also like if anybody else is in the way, we'll beat them up too. Yeah. Just crazy cop shit. You know? So that's totally a crime that there's so many law enforcement officers that need to be like, that's what the fuck. But then this these couple of um, anonymous whistleblowers essentially came forward and said that they said... Um, White and Asian people are soft targets and should basically be given a pass, but you should really focus on black and brown people. Of course. And they literally were told white and Asian people are soft targets, so don't worry about them. Go after black and brown people. What does Bill de Blasio have to say about that? Is he still running for president? I don't know. Is he? No, I I I guess he dropped him. I don't remember. I don't really care. But like, what the fuck is that? How's everyone not fired already? I just I fucking hate cops. <laughs> so keep your eye on the situation in Miami because there's going to be a lot of questions. It's not just going to go away. It's really getting a lot of national attention. There's so much video, I think, is part of why. It's like you can just watch these cops hide behind you. Like it could be your car. Yeah. That just cops are hiding behind and shooting outside of. I can't imagine how terrifying that must be. Well, that's the thing, right? Most people, let's take your average suburban white person, right? Yeah. And they aren't necessarily diehard Blue Lives Matter, but they generally trust the cops. But they can put themselves in a situation where like I'm coming home from work and I'm stuck in traffic. And now somebody robbed a jewelry store and now cops are hiding behind my car and shooting Shooting outside of it. I'm a human shield and I might die. I had someone died from that. Yes. You're going to have some idiots on Twitter who are waving the the blue flag, but most people are going to be like, wait a minute. What the fuck is that? Wait a minute. For jewelry? Now, now I have to be in a wild west shootout because some guys robbed a jewelry store. That can't be right. That can't be the way that cops operate, right? Yeah. Like, people have to be like, that's, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the dead guy, but I also don't even want to be the not dead guy who's just in a car and there's just like seven SWAT team members shooting around me and I'm in rush hour. That's terrifying. Even if you're not the dead guy. Mm-hmm. And you could be the dead guy. And... We don't care about hostages, I guess, anymore, because as long as you get the bad guy, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's just the uh, state of law enforcement. Uh, 
So we'll have lots of lots more to say about cops and law enforcement going forward. We always we're gonna, do. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break now. We'll have a bunch more stuff to talk about, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. testimony we got some things to talk about uh rachel you had some stuff you wanted to get to first i did yeah um there was some disgusting garbage news about a man whose name i'm not gonna speak uh doing some things and so instead of that i would like to talk about the life of trayvon martin um and and just talk about his life for a moment Mm -hmm. Uh, He was born on February 5th of 1995. He was 17 when he died. He was a young black man in Miami. Um, He was visiting some family um, in a Miami suburb um, with his father. Uh, He went to the store to buy some uh, Skittles and some iced tea. And he was murdered by a supposed member of the community watch. Stalked and murdered. Stalked and murdered, yeah. By someone who thought that he was suspicious because he was a black man in a primarily white community um, walking around with a hoodie. Um, Trayvon Martin's life, he wanted to be a pilot. um, And he was... Yeah, he was murdered by a man um, that was not that was acquitted of that murder um and that man has gone on to do a lot of things and is doing something this week and i just don't want to give it airtime uh but trayvon martin's mother is running for office um and i want to read a little bit about what she has to say about that um it fell hold on um, so she's running for like a county commissioner seat in Florida. Yeah. Um, and I think if we're going to do anything about this news, about what this horrible garbage person is doing, it might be just to like, you know, um, donate to her campaign. Right. Um, and try to 
get somebody that has been impacted directly by racial violence into public office. Her name is Sydney Fulton. I'm sorry, Sabrina Fulton. Mm-hmm. She is running for commissioner, uh, county commissioner in Florida. So, um, in my uh, in Miami, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah, so, Miami Dade County. Yeah, so she is running for office in Miami Dade County Commissioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her name is Sabrina Fulton, and she's Trayvon Martin's mom, and she is running in large part because she was sort of activated by the murder of her son. And I think that, like, the best thing that we can do in this time where this person is doing this thing is just to, like, support her mm-hmm. and help her to try to make things a little bit better. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> uh, today's December 7th. It is the anniversary. Uh, I'm not going to do the math right now, but it's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. The attack, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. I am a World War II buff. Yes. And international relations mm-hmm. expert. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know what, what more there is to say about that. Um, other than, uh, world war two is complicated. It's a complicated legacy. Um, there were a lot of domestic politics that went into it. Can I tell you what I think I know about it? And then you can tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, we're going to do another, you're wrong about mini session. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, please. All right. So, <clears throat> The world was at war, and the Nazis were killing um, and having a genocide, right? No, I think it's more accurate to say um, by December of 1941, Europe was certainly engulfed in war, and the Far East, um, Japan, Indochina... Uh, but the U.S. was largely being isolationist. And Northern this. Africa was also... Uh, right. Yes, the United States was in a very... Uh, at the time, the Republican Party led isolation, isolationist fervor that we this is not our fight. Right. We don't want to get involved in it. We just had World War One. Yeah. Right. Like we don't want to do it. So even though there was evidence that like there were as a genocide going on, we were like, no, we're not going to do it. Well, one thing that doesn't like to be discussed in polite circles a lot mm. is that uh, there was a lot of. Nazi sympathizers in the mm. United States. Uh, famously, I think in, in the late 30s, 1939, I want to say, there was a huge Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden that drew tens of thousands of people and marches. And wow. they weren't really seen as that much of a threat, so people sort of tolerated it. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism around. So Charles Lindbergh famously was a big Nazi sympathizer. Henry Ford was a big Nazi sympathizer. There was a lot of sympathy for the Nazis until really it it seemed as though Hitler had his sights on world domination. Did people sort of take notice and then see him as a threat? And then uh, like, oh, yeah, well, all these atrocities he's doing on all these other people are bad, too. But for a while, they, you know... You had a lot of American politicians and American sort of think tank top people saying, oh, I think Hitler's doing a good job. Look, he rebuilt their economy. He got Germany mm. back on their feet. They're a world power. And so there was a lot of that. And you don't hear a lot about that in the history books. You have to no. dig, dig a little deeper. No, I didn't know that. To realize that. I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> not really until 
um, he started sort of spreading his war tentacles across Europe. Was he deemed more as a threat in this country? But anyway, go on. You were going to say about your impressions go, go on the eve of Pearl Harbor or what happened after Pearl Harbor. So what I <coughs> sort of understand is that um, the Japanese had sort of from what my professor told me that like they had sort of said like you know uncle um and that the president decided that um you talking about before the atomic bombs yeah oh okay so oh I thought we're still sorry talking about pearl harbor. pearl harbor yes so pearl harbor was like the initiation of us getting into the war right like they bombed this military base yes and no and then we said we should get into the war because they just bombed american soil it's, is what my professors told me. I it's think. a little more complicated than that. Um, <clears throat> there was a, Pearl Harbor was was not very well defended, certainly from aerial attack, and the bulk of the American fleet was there. And the Japanese figured it's you know sooner or later this this giant superpower with this huge navy is going to get involved and they're going to be a real problem. Here's a chance to take out. Mm. The bulk of their fleet in mm. one shot. Why was it in Pearl Harbor? Why was it in Hawaii? Um, that was thought to be a strategic location. It was still considered... Like, Why know, did we put our things there? Just because it was like away from the mainland? Well, yeah, it was closer to the action in the Pacific. Yeah. Um, but there were, you know, I'm not going to get into geology and a lot, but there were a lot of problems with a potential attack there. And the Japanese knew that. Mm. <coughs> and so they did it. Um, you know, there's there's arguments whether it was a, ultimately a wise idea. What what the Japanese were not counting on was the sort of very fervent, aggressive, maniacal uh, industriousness and industrial capability of rebuilding and building, uh, surpassing the navy we had before in such a short time. Some mm. in Japan knew it. But the generals were like, well, well, we'll deal with that later. Right now, there's a looming threat, and we can we can take out that threat with one attack. And in the short term, they did. Um, okay. But, of course, um, the industrial capability of this country uh, built the yeah. most incredible war machine the world has ever seen, and we haven't looked back since then. Right. Um, and that was uh, 1941. Now, interestingly... Roosevelt at the time knew he had to get involved in the war in Europe. Um, there was still, even after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, you still had a lot of uh, Republicans very reluctant to get into the fight in Europe. Um, so, okay, still well, being isolationist. E- yes, even, still even like, though Japan deal. and Germany were allies, you still individual. Th- this is back in the day when individual countries declared war on other countries. Oh, and by the way. This was back when we didn't go to war in, unless there was a formal declaration of war by Congress. <laughs> right. Today, right. Roosevelt could just, you know, go Bomb to war with shit. whoever. Yeah. Put some drones there. Yeah. Whoever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You, and, and do it under the guise of covert or the War Powers Act and covert military operation right. without a formal declaration of war, which I guess we'll never have again. I we'll just go so. to war with whoever we want. Yeah. But back then you still <laughs> Congress still had to declare war. So Congress was still, after Pearl Harbor, we declared war on Japan, obviously, right away. Um, but we still had not declared war on Germany and Italy. That's crazy. Because they, Why? Because they, they had, had not, not attacked us, no, I guess. No, they had attacked our allies, oh. but they had not directly attacked us. But then, and, and historians are still trying to figure this out, 
pretty much the next day, Hitler declared war on us. Okay. And so he was trying to provoke us and it didn't work. And so he was just like, fuck it. We'll just do it on them. No one's really sure why Hitler did that. He may have started to have been sundowning by that point already. Um, or he may have been playing some version of 12 dimensional chess that only he and a few other people understood. There have been all kinds of theories as to why. I mean, we would have gone to war eventually. You know, mm-hmm. We would have found a way to strong arm enough people or, or you know, mm. the, the Hitler would have attacked the U.S. But we didn't, at some point. That's so, I didn't know that. No, Hitler so declared like, war on us. And then we were like, okay. Well, yeah, once you've declared war, that you can't say, well, no, thank you. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're at war. I guess, what does that mean? If you, What does that mean? Well, declaring uh, war on a country that you're not like invading. What does that mean? Well, it means like, get ready. We're going to invade you, basically. But you're in Germany. Right. How are you going to get here? And when you get here, what are you going to do? Well, they had plans to do that. Fortunately, obviously, they never got around to it. They got bogged down in Russia and on the yes. Eastern Front. And, yes. you know, every you know, yes. we, we know that history. Right. But, you know, I didn't it, know that there have been theories as to why Hitler declared war on the United States after Pearl Harbor. Everything ranging from um, it, it was able to bring some sort of clarity to the war plan faster to the fact that he only had one testicle. What is that? What? <laughs> yes, no. an, an actual no. academic once gave a speech in okay. front of Henry Kissinger saying that Hitler no. declared war on the United States Stop. because he only Stop. had one test. Oh I'm God. not making that up. I that mean, actually seriously? happened. And he was very Stop. surprised when everybody laughed and walked out. But <clears throat> in any event, we don't really know why. But at that point, then the United States was fully in the war and war fervor took over. Is and that? Wait, hold on. When he declared war on us after Pearl Harbor, is that? What made us get into the war, really? Yes. Not Pearl Harbor? Yes. We were only at war at that point with Japan. With Japan. Now, eventually, yes, we would have been at war, but we may have been in a, in a much more precarious position then. You, these recalcitrant Republicans were really trying to hold out to avoid being at war with Europe because their constituents were just adamant about uh, staying out of the war. Uh, one of that was, was isolationist fervor. One of it was, again, not seeing the Nazis as a threat. Right. And, you know, some Nazi sympathy, frankly. Well, and like, we're white. So what do they, they don't want anything to do with us. We're fine. Yeah. Right? Right. Right? I mean, right. Like, what do they care about us? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, wow. exactly. You still had, wow. you still had um, segregated army units. Right. You know? And, yeah. And you still had, uh, and, and again, in World War II, like other wars, the, uh, um, Black soldiers fought valiantly. We know about the Tuskegee Airmen. And, mm-hmm. You know, you know yes. they're sort of relegated lower in history. What do you think about the boys on D-Day? You know, all, all the nice white boys on D-Day. But, you know, there were more than them. But anyway, I could do a whole separate podcast about World War II. Okay, but so so Pearl Harbor <coughs> happened. Mm-hmm. And that is... December 7, 1941. Yeah. And... Hitler declared war on us, I think, the next day, if not the next week. And so by January 1942, the United States was fully engulfed in World War II in every facet, everywhere from the Pacific to the European theater to Northern Africa to the Do Middle you East. Think if the, so if Japan had not bombed Pearl Harbor, would the United States have ever gotten involved in World War II? Yes. Why? Well, because eventually <laughs> they, the Axis powers would have set their sight on the American mainland. It's inevitable. 
and we would have been fighting a, a defensive war. And, you know, one thing I have... I mean, why didn't we get involved earlier? That's that's an excellent question, and it's one that historians have been asking for a long time. Uh, again, a lot of it goes to domestic politics. Yeah. There was um, just a lot of isolationist feelings. We thought World War One was a big waste, and it got so many people killed for yeah. results that were not very tangible and didn't seem to directly seem to affect, for us. affect mm-hmm. us in ways that mm-hmm. people could understand. And this mm-hmm. is this is Europe's war. This is Europe's problem. <clears throat> And, and resulted in the Great Depression, mm-hmm. ultimately. And Japan and, and the Far East, well, that was so far away. What, what are we going to care about what's happening in Japan and China and Korea and Singapore, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the world economy was not as tied together as it is now. So yes, no, right. We, of course, right. Of mm-hmm. course, it wasn't. Yeah. So we were certainly we were we were pursuing oil interests and economic things around the globe, but it wasn't multinational corporations weren't really a thing. Globalism wasn't even a thing. No, it didn't exist. No, so we weren't we, doing a lot of trade with China or like no, you know, there yeah. was some, but we could be isolated and just fine. Right. Right. And well, t- you know, to make your point, there's some really interesting history about the fact that. While we were at war with Japan and Germany, we were still engaged in robust trade with them. Right. Because capitalism is a weird fickle mistress. No, capitalism is. There, there are some really interesting books about that. If you want to get into the, the odd bedfellows of, of trade and global trade and economics, like in the throes of World War II fighting for survival, we were still actively trading with our sworn enemies. That's crazy. So, That's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't, right? Right. I mean, it seems nuts, but it also is like, of course. Yeah. Because capitalism must go on. Well, in the height of the Cold War, we were still had a lot of active trade with the Soviet Union. So, you know. Yeah. Trade is trade. Trade is trade, I guess. Any other questions? No, I guess not. I mean, no, I guess not. Yeah. We get more into World War II stuff at other times, but you know it's it's a topic I know a lot about, and I did a lot of study on it in college, and a lot of papers and projects, and yeah, it's a it's fascinating time in history. And I guess my, if we can, just for a sec, uh-huh. um, the bomb. Yeah, well, that's very controversial. There's been a lot of revisionist history. There's been a lot of questioning: was the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki necessary? Right. Um, my it's history really, professor... It's really hard to get a coherent, straight, easy answer to that question. And I've read a lot about it yeah. from a lot of angles. My history professor proclaims no. No, and a lot of history professors do. The thinking, the more modern thinking is... This is the classical thinking, right? This is what I was taught when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. We dropped these horrible bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki because we absolutely had to. Because the only way Japan would have been defeated would have been an, a man... a manned land invasion and it would have killed up to a million people. With the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, 10% of of that amount of people died and the war was over. Um, That was classic thinking right up probably through the 80s. No, yes. And, 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 and then in the 90s, people started to sort of rethink that on the uh, like the 50th anniversary. And, and mm-hmm. people started to, to say, really, Japan was looking for ways to surrender. Um, but here's another problem with that. 
you have in this day and age, you literally, and we could talk about Trump's unsecured cell phones, but you can literally pick up the phone and talk to a world leader anytime. Anytime. Right. And a lot of stuff gets worked out that way. Um, back then, communication between these world warring leaders was tough. You really was right up through the 60s. It was a lot of guesswork. There was back channels, and could you trust this back channel? And this other back channel has their own agenda, and you right. don't, you can't trust them. And I so mean, it even was up through like the Kennedy era, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the whole like Bay of Pigs and like how we like Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban was, Missile Crisis. We were guessing. barely prevented a we were, nuclear war we were because a couple of smart guys in a room were yeah. like, "Don't do this." <coughs> yes, that was it. And yeah. if those guys hadn't been in the room, who knows what would have happened? So it's different now. So it's very easy to go back and look and say, well, Truman should have known that Japan was ready to surrender. But I'm not so sure that's true. Uh, I'm okay. not so sure you could have gleaned that because Hirohito couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, Harry, we're ready to surrender. Don't drop the bombs. It didn't work that way. Right. But I guess my professor told me that they sent a letter. Is this true? That there was some sort of letter of surrender that Japan sent, and then we dropped the bomb anyway. Um, there, there is some talk of that, but very sort of curiously, it's never been completely confirmed. And certainly, uh, the if Jap- there was a letter, it should be confirmed, right? Like, they well, have the letter. And well, and <laughs> right? Jap- Japanese leadership and Hirohito never came out and said afterwards, "Why did you bomb us? We sent you that right that letter." letter. So it's it's. Hard to say. There's a lot of things. There, there, I mean, it's in very interesting history. If you want to look up and see, like, <coughs> in the days before the bomb drop and where Japan was. Because remember, another thing that kind of blows a hole in that is after the first bomb on Hiroshima, Japan did not, still did not surrender. I thought it had already surrendered. No. That's not true? No. Japan did not officially surrender until after the bomb uh, hit Nagasaki. Okay. So, okay, you know, I didn't know that. I, I, it's look, I just the bomb in general is like the the worst possible thing that we could ever have done. Sure, and a lot of um, international relations theorists say like as horrible as it was, it gave the world a a firsthand glimpse at the horrible, awesome power of this bomb, yeah. and what. You know, very rapidly in the years following that, especially with the rise of the Cold War, the bombs yeah. got so much more powerful yeah. and so much more deadly. And had we not seen the horrors of those baby bombs, of the first rudimentary Which, atomic bombs, somebody would have used it at some point, you know, and it would have been way worse. Now, there's no way to know that, right? There's no way to prove that. There's no way to no, know that. And and calling them baby bombs is like so horrifying if you've ever read Hiroshima which I read when I was in like, I was like 17 and it's just like this harrowing account of like. Of course, but here's the thing, right? Not 10 years later, we had hydrogen bombs and 20 megaton bombs and then you've trident missiles with multiple warheads and the destruction that those things could wreak is just beyond comprehension. And a lot of people think, and I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying it's wrong. But a lot of people believe that had the world not seen the horror of those early bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, somebody would have used an actual, an, uh, yeah, like 
and there's a lot of fear more they still powerful might. New? There's still yeah, a ton of I nuclear mean, weapons out of there. Of course, of course, of course. And, I don't know. I, and we've got a madman in charge of this country now with the biggest, the largest nuclear stockpile in the world. So there's that. I mean, and and really like thinking about like how <coughs> how much damage was done by these quote baby bombs, mm-hmm. right? And like the actual like human capital, the human damage that was done by them, um, and generational damage that mm-hmm. was done by them. Like I can't imagine like not taking seriously the idea that there are so many more powerful ones than that that are in control of like Donald Trump and yeah. leaders like him. Yes. And and eventually um, they will be in the hands of powers like Iran and Saudi right. Arabia. Right. And you know, it's it's just sort of inevitable. There's we can we can delay it for years and decades and um, but yeah. you know, eventually there will be more nukes, not less. Um, you know, right. and what do we, we do about that? <laughs> that is a question <laughs> that very smart people have been wrangling with Forever. since the nuclear age. Right. And, uh, you know, Reagan and Gorbachev in the height of the cold war came really, really close to saying, we got to get rid of all these nukes, man. And then their people said, no, we can't do that. But they came close. Yeah. And, you know, I am, I'm never going to describe Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan as, as peace loving doves, but they, they really were scared and they really they yeah really want they really truly were like this is a bad idea we should get rid of these fucking things and they we should came never close. have done it yeah right they came close and the people in the manhattan project all of them i think eventually were just like i shouldn't have done that well no i mean the they, world was experiencing a genocide so i felt i had to do anything but i we shouldn't have done this thing because this would well, be the end of the world they all they all signed a a compact basically saying like we gave you this technology but please don't ever use it or you can't ever use it or something to that effect and, right you know. like we feel really bad about ever having created this and please don't do yeah, anything yeah. with it and then then so because of that they never trusted Oppenheimer again and he sort of died disgraced and out of the loop but anyway again I could go down a World War II a nuclear age rabbit hole forever I know right um, I want to switch gears a little bit now did you have something else before I just give sort of a little impeachment no um, I was going to do Baby It's Cold Outside oh yes go ahead alright <coughs> so there's this very much uh, controversial Christmas song by yeah. Dean Martin. It's that time of year. You're going to hear this song everywhere. <laughs> it's called Baby It's Cold Outside. And I'm going to give you some opinions about it. Well, first off, let's let's talk about classically what it is, right? Because you hear it as a kid. When you're growing up, you don't think anything of it. Then when you start to listen to the lyrics, it's supposed to be a lighthearted story of a guy who has a date with a woman and the date's over and he's trying to convince her to stay so he can have sex with her. Yes. And he becomes coercive in that. And at the and again, it's presented as being lighthearted and um it, what what would the term for it be? The normal like typical almost sweet. I mean, I'm going to I'm talking about how it's presented. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean and I'm going to I'm going to present a maybe an unpopular opinion about it like that 
yes, it's presented in this way of like, it's cute how much he likes her, and it's nice how much he wants her to stay, and it's cold outside. More like she should be around. More like she should stay. no, no. I think it's presented more like wink, wink. Hey, you know, guys, they're gonna try to. Hey, it's too cold. You should just stay here tonight. Just, just, just stay. It's it's warm in here, and like we can have another drink, and it'll be fine. Like, like mm-hmm. oh, you know, that's mm-hmm. what men do. LOL. But also, I think we. <clears throat> that's like the popular criticism of the song mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that like the man is sorry <coughs> um coercing her to stay and like she really wants to go yeah that might yeah. be true right yeah. that might mm-hmm. be true and there's also this part of the song that I've been thinking about a lot lately and reading some ladies that I love a lot and thinking about how much agency she doesn't have in this song because throughout it really her objection is like my sister's gonna be mad my neighbor's gonna notice my mom's gonna notice I'm gonna get shit from my brother like yeah. I wanna stay but like I can't so there's really two I'm not even I was gonna read the lyrics but let's not even bother everyone's heard the fucking song um, we can there's, get into there's sort of two interpretations of this right so there's many interpretations mine is like two-folded I don't know I don't like the song, first of all, but like there's there's an <coughs> there's an uninterpreted version of this where she wants to stay mm-hmm. and she doesn't feel that she can. Well, because she doesn't want her friends and family to think That's she's right. a slut. So she's being slut shamed into not staying and he's giving her all the reasons why it's OK. Right. Yeah. yeah why she has an excuse to. Right. Yeah. 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 And like, given the time that it was written in, like, she didn't have any agency to stay. No. She, she th- didn't have any this is clearly ability to say yes. Unmarried couple on an early date. Yeah. Is, is. Yeah. Yeah. In the 50s. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> so she had no ability to say yes or no. And if you can't say yes, then what can you not do? Mm-hmm. Say no. Right. So either way, her responses in the story are telling, right? Either she's using these as excuses to get the fuck out of this guy's house because she wants to go the fuck home. Which, and is, she just which is how doesn't, I interpret it. Right? Yeah. Or she's like, what about my mom? What about my sister? What about my fucking neighbor? People are going to notice. And he's like, who cares? What about this? It's cold outside. Like, you just stayed because it was cold. Yeah. Either way, she, she loses. Either way, this woman, right, in this instance has no agency. Right. Has no ability to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a no that she's trying to get across or a yes that she just can't get to, she has no agency and she has no ability to consent one way or the other. Right. She has no... And we can't, we can't determine which one that is because in this instance, she has no agency. She has no ability to consent. Yeah. So... So it sucks either way. Yeah. If she wants to stay, she can't because she feels like shit. And if she wants to get the fuck out of there and he keeps giving her reasons to not do it, then she's just right. So like either way, it sucks. Mm -hmm. But it's really, I think, like if we just boil it all down to where it is, it's about like women didn't have agency about their sex. Like she couldn't say, I want to have sex with you, but I like worry about my mom. And isn't that uplifting? Well, let, let's 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 talk a little bit more about this, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about like when I hear the lyrics, 
I'm thinking of a woman who is like, I want to, I want to go home. Like, this is like our second date. I'm not ready to sleep with this guy. Hell, it's the fifties. I might not be able to ready to sleep with this guy until I want to get married to him. But you know, but what, why is that? But well, besides the point, let's imagine that she's having a bad date and wants to go home. Right. Or not even a bad date. Let's say it was a fine date. She's just not ready to sleep with the guy. Right. right. And she's like, and he's starting to push and she's, and so she's like, okay, now I got to come up with some excuses. So I don't tons of reasons. So he doesn't feel like he's rejected and things get uglier and because then I might get killed. Right. Um, that's the reality. If right. I reject or this man and I just, that far, well, uh, but sure. if I say, I don't want to have sex with you tonight. There's a very real possibility that he might get violent. Sure. But let's not, we don't even have to go that far to empathize with her. We can say, like, oh, he's going to get pissy and butt hurt and his little man ego mm-hmm. is going to be shattered. Yep. And what was a nice date will get really uncomfortable and that's gross. And I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to use my mom so and my like, neighbor no, no, and my no, sister. My mom's and, expecting me if yeah. I don't come home, they're going to be freaked out. I really have to get home. Right. Because I'm like, oh, God, let me just get out of here. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That th- I think that's probably more likely <laughs> than the other scenario of like, no, I, yeah, I totally would stay. But like, I don't I can't get slut shamed. Everybody knows I'm here. I don't know. Like, that's the unpopular opinion I'm proposing is that like she keeps saying throughout the song, like, well, who wrote it? Was it wasn't it written by a man and a woman? I want to say like I, it was co-written. We should look that up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But <coughs> but I, I think there's another reading into it, regardless of who wrote it, of like. The excuses she's using, she doesn't ever say, I want to leave. And that doesn't mean it's because she doesn't want to leave, right? No, but we just talked about all the reasons she can't say that. But there's also a part of it that might be like, Dean Martin is giving her all the reasons that she's allowed to stay. All Mm -hmm. the things she can say to her family and friends Mm -hmm. that it's cold outside. I I had to stay. Mm-hmm. Right, and just a, just a little right, a little drink here and there. Okay, and like it was written thing. by Idina Menzel, so it's written by a woman. Yeah, so that's interesting. Which to me is like, look, I want to stay here and fuck you, but like I'm gonna get shit for it when I get home. So we better come up with a lot of reasons why I couldn't get okay, home no, tonight. Idina Menzel is just someone who covered it, so I'm trying to find out who wrote the song, and we should know this. We should have done our homework about it. I know. I'm okay. Sorry. It was written by a man. Yeah. Frank Lossner. So it was completely written by a man. So who fucking knows? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Right. Because we can just look at the text of the song and think about like. He wrote guys and dolls and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. But so. we can look at it without <clears throat> that. I mean, it matters that it was written by a man, but. In this sort of context of like, maybe there was this woman who wanted to do this thing, but all the excuses that she's giving are about like, I would, but I would, but I would, but mm-hmm. all of these people in my life are going to think this thing about me. And at the time, that would be an unthinkable thing. But if since it's written by a man, doesn't it automatically sort yes. of snap in your head that this guy is speaking from experience? Yes, yes, it does. And like, maybe that's how he met his wife and they tell it and they think it's a cute story. Like... That was their third date, right? And she doesn't see sexual assault in the same way that we see it today. Well, Certainly that's true. Or she doesn't see consent in the way we see it today, right? Yes. And I don't think we can see consent in the same way that we see it today back then because of precisely the reasons that I'm proposing, which is that back then a woman 
didn't have the right to say yes. Well, ultimately, what happens in the song? What's, what happens at the very end of the song? She says, oh, fine. Fine, let's have another drink. Yeah. But like... And so, what, what is she relenting because she's just giving up? Is This has always been my opinion about this song, is that it's super fucking rapey and terrible. Mm-hmm. And upon really like looking at it, because I've been thinking about this for days, there is a part of it to me that says like, because there is no way for her to say yes. All the reasons she's given are the reasons that she can't just be like, have a fucking friends with benefits thing. You know what I mean? Like she can't just have like a fucking casual sex date. She's giving all the reasons why it's impossible for her to do this thing that she might want to do. Well, or, yeah, but it, so, but yeah. so hold on. So when, as Sarah Marshall pointed out, when a woman cannot give, is incapable of giving a yes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They're also incapable of saying no. Right. Right. If you can't say yes to a thing that you want to do, you also can't say no to a thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. When you can't say affirmatively, I want to do this thing because it's fine for me to want to have sex with you, mm-hmm. then it's every excuse you make also makes it impossible for you to say no. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you, because what you're saying is, I, I have no control and I have no agency in this situation. Yeah. So every excuse that I'm making might be because I feel bad, but I want to, or it might be I want to get out of this situation because I don't want to. But mm-hmm. we'll never know because you're not allowed to say out loud in 1950, I want to have sex with you, mm-hmm. because that makes you all these things this woman is pointing out. Yeah. So when you can't say yes, you can't say no either. Right. Now, here's the thing, right? <clears throat> this is probably cleverly edgy for this time because yeah. uh, guess what? People did have casual sex in the 50s. They did. They really did, even though you would never think that that was true. They it's just not did. what you talked about in Polite Company. No. But you had to have this veneer. This is why in those old sitcoms, even married couples have separate beds. Separate beds. Because married I, couples. Yeah. Where do they make babies? I wonder which bed do they go to. Now, in the real world... Very few people actually had separate beds. A few have. I've seen them. Like, they, they took their cue from TV, which totally. is weird. But for the most part, no, people didn't have separate beds. But the problem is, if you turned on your favorite, if you turned on Leave it to Beaver, and you saw a single bed, the implication is, people fuck in that bed. <laughs> yeah. And, you, could, and yeah. you couldn't imply that. Imagine that people had sex right. on purpose. You don't have to. There's kids running around in the show, but you can't, you couldn't paint draw two to two and so this song is actually riding the line it is of like culture of the fact that like people I, unmarried people went on dates and wanted to fuck each other yes and do they get to do that or not depends on what your mom thinks and your sister thinks and your neighbor thinks and also whether she wants to which we're not clear about right and he definitely does and yes. they both want to still have a drink but maybe she doesn't really want to but she's just sort of like it's a very complicated song and it could have been a great song if they gave the woman a little bit of agency yeah but they couldn't no because then it isn't cute because then the gender roles aren't what they should be and people no. would be very upset oh my god if she was like I don't want to fuck you so I'm leaving well, that's what Nathaniel Rateliff and that that singer did, right? They turned it around, and and she was <laughs> she was getting him to stay. And I was like, okay, this is neat. This is this is different. It's still kind of gross, but like I get what they're doing here, right? It's so interesting when you do the exact song, 
and you reverse the gender roles, how people react to it. Yeah, they're they're freaked it's out. So interesting. Yeah. Because like it's the same fucking song. It's the exact same <coughs> lyrics. But your but the mental picture is is so different so that you, different. it just makes people's fucking brains explode. Right. And you're like, "What?" Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why that is, right? Yeah, and I've been in that situation. Like, I think I'm going to go home. No, 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 stay, stay, have another drink. It's getting late. You know, you can crash here. Like, I've been the guy in that situation. Of course, the difference is I didn't feel threatened in any way. Right. You're not in physical danger. No. You can say no and walk out the door, and doing so does not put you in physical danger in any way. No, of course not. If I said no and walked out the door, I am always thinking, like, how (coughs) much? this escalate sure how might this escalate if i just put a firm fuck no i'm going away now and i'm walking out the door like it could escalate into violence it could but also but again also it, it could be much more milder but annoying than that like you know a man baby's feelings could be really badly damaged and then you could have that mess to try to clean up right but when man baby's feelings get hurt Things escalate to violence often. That's and true. women are always aware of that. And so we are always doing the, well, my mom and my sister and like I'm a neighbor and so like I don't know. I would say this. Go back and listen to the song. And unlike the way you listen to it when you're like, you know, shopping at the mall or whatever and it's just in the back of your brain. Yeah. Listen to really the actual listen to lyrics. The lyrics. It's fucked up. Follow the story in your head and then go back and listen to one of the newer versions. There's several versions now where they flip the gender roles. Yeah. Uh, the last one I heard was with Nathaniel Rateliff and I forget who his duet partner was. I'm not sure I haven't heard it. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, it's the same song, but yeah. she's convincing him to stay. Right. Uh, or, and how different do you feel about that and then really examine why? Yeah. Right? Like really examine why do you feel that differently about this? Because it's the <coughs> same fucking story. It's the exact same lyrics. We should do a whole section every time about like going back to a classic song that's actually weird. Really and problematic. And problematic. <laughs> There's so many. There's so many. Or like scenes in movies that we go back to now and you're just like, oh my God, that was horrible. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many classic movies that they, they basically take of rape and, and, and make it, try to make it something romantic or yeah. stalking yeah. and yep. make it something romantic. Yep. Right. Yep. All the time. All the time constantly like i just i just kept following her and showing up at her door till she finally said okay and then she broke up with me and she told me multiple times (coughs) that i didn't want to see you and i'm not going to see you anymore and then i stood outside of her room with a boombox in the middle of the night screaming a song and that was the moment when she realized she loved me no that's the moment when you call the police although (laughs) don't call the police but you know what i mean right that's the moment you're like this fucking guy will not leave me alone i broke up with him i gave him a pen I fucking did everything I could do to tell him, like, I'm not interested. I'm not doing this anymore. It didn't work out for me. I'm done. Showed up at my house in the middle of the night with a boombox over his head playing a song. And I, like, had to call the cops because this guy won't fucking leave me alone. And that's the moment in the movie where she falls back in love with him. Mm -hmm. And that is just not how life works. Yeah. So, sorry, uh, us millennials are ruining Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know that really makes the boomers mad when oh we take God. their beloved songs. Oh, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> it's super rapey and also gives women no agency and could be a lot of things. But It's very problematic. It's not good yeah. in either way, right? So real quick, I'll give you the uh, impeachment update. Impe- okay. Impeachment's happening. 
Yes. <laughs> On Monday, uh, tune in because we're going to get into sort of the meat of, you know, them, the legal experts laying out the, the articles. Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody's trying to prognosticate and say, well, the Senate is never going to vote to, you know, let just, just let's take this one step at a time. This is historic. This is only the third president in history of our country ever to face impeachment. Yeah. So that's interesting and it's important and try to avoid the hype if you can and the cable prognosticators mm-hmm. and talking mm-hmm. about where the pizzazz is and who scored the points and who got the zingers yep. Yep. and just actually listen to what's being talked about. Like totally last uh, Friday, Thursday or Friday when they had those constitutional experts like that yeah. was interesting. <clears throat> it was like and, yep. and it's OK to have a debate like. The Repu- yes. I don't mind when the Republicans make their case about why they don't think it's impeachable. That's okay. Even though Jonathan Turley's full of shit, Look, I, it's okay I for him to make that argument. him being a scholar on the side of the president because there are so few people on that side that are willing to talk about substantive things that aren't just screaming fucking fake news in toilets. Yeah. Like that, I just want to hear like, why wouldn't it be okay? Like, mm-hmm. why is it bad? Why mm-hmm. do? What is the other argument that is not bullshit? Fucking Devin Nunes bullshit. Right. Like, so we can have a reasonable the actual argument. reasonable. Yeah. What is the reason you don't think this should happen? Mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. No. Yeah. Ultimately, his arguments didn't make a lot of sense, and they but were contradictory. I, but but okay. Okay. Make the argument. Okay. That's fine. We had a reasonable conversation at least. Yeah, and that's what you're going to see from the. From well, the Republican Council might say crazy shit, but like he's going to make a constitution. I would assume right. a constitutional yeah. case as to why right. Trump should not be impeached. I want to hear that, and I want to hear that. I do, and, and so like I enjoy and relish the times where it's not Devin Nunes with conspiracy theories and Jim Jordan literally screaming. Right. I want to hear reasoned legal scholars talk about things, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate when they do, even if I disagree with them. And I was yelling at him through my computer, <laughs> um, just being like, that's literally what Trump did is bribery, blah. Yeah, but yeah. like, but it was not a like, there's Pizzagate though. You know, it was a, it was a literal like a, yeah. a, a constitutional argument that I disagreed with, but it was what it was. And meanwhile, you got Rudy over in Ukraine literally Jesus doing the things Christ. that got Trump in trouble in the first right place. Right now, so currently I, I doing know. it, which is like timing. Hello, what I, are you I doing? I don't know how that's helpful, but. I don't either. And right. Biden's not even going to be the candidate. So like, it's even worse. Like they're just idiots. Well, but anyway. We'll get all into that another time. Okay. All right. So that's going to do it for us this week. We will, in all likelihood, be back next week. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Talk to you later. Bye.